The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up this morning to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 20. The, the text for today is also in the worship guide you received. If you're new, um, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, and we are continuing in our series through the life of Abraham. We have just a few more weeks to go as we've been journeying this, this kind of season through the life of Abraham, and we are almost wrapping up with it. For some of you who were very stressed last week when you saw that our text last week was like 65 verses, you'll be very relieved to see it's only 18 verses today. Some of you are like, oh, good. Because I know last week, some of you were stressed. You're like, how is he going to do this and still get out on time? So, so hopefully you won't be stressed today as we tackle this passage in Genesis chapter 20. Well, I make the same mistake every single time that I go out to eat at a Mexican restaurant. I don't know about you, but I make the same mistake every single time, right? So like at most Mexican restaurants, you sit down, they give you the menu, you look over all the delicious options, right? They take your drink order, you order your food, and then what do they bring though before your food ever comes? They put before you a basket of nice, warm, salty tortilla chips with that delicious salsa that they have on the side. And I know... I know that what I ordered is going to be delicious, but then I take one chip and I'm like, but this is delicious too. And two minutes later, I look down and the bowl is empty and I blame my spouse, even though I eat like 95% of it. And then what happens? That good server, they'll come back and what do they do? They bring another bowl of chips. And you're like, I know I shouldn't but I'm going to do it anyways. And you eat the other bowl of chips. And by the time the food comes that you actually ordered, that you came to the restaurant to get, you've already had an entire meal of tortilla chips just preparing you for your actual meal to arrive. And I do this every time. And I'm like, I know I'm not five years old anymore where I don't understand like what spoiling my dinner looks like, but I cannot help myself when it's sat in front of me. I have no self-control and I just keep doing it even though I know what it's going to lead to. And that's a a silly example, but the truth is in a lot of our lives, the things that we do, the bad things, the struggles that we have are kind of like that and that it just cycles back over and over and over again. And the way we respond in anger to something is the same as it was five years ago and 10 years ago and 20 years ago. And when we're stressed, we do the same thing today than we did 20 years ago. And for so many of us, it's just the same patterns of sin seem to keep flowing up. Sometimes when we don't even expect it, the same patterns of sin seem to keep coming into our lives. And this morning, we're going to talk about what do we do when these sins seem to keep coming up? And how do we move forward from the sins that keep cycling in, reoccurring in our lives and move on to the life that God has for us? We're gonna look at this in a story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 20 as Abraham struggles with something that he's already done before as he repeats his same sin. We're gonna look at steps that we can take to not do the same thing. Verse one of chapter 20 says this, From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. 
But God came and said to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I, do not let, I did not let you touch her. Now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. So he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. And so Abraham, it starts off, leaves and he journeys. He continues. If you remember last week that the story ended with Abraham watching the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're not told why he journeys, but Abraham is a sojourner in the land. And so he heads down to the area. This is very close to the area where when Hagar left Abraham, this is where she journeyed to. He headed south. And he journeys there in a new area means a new ruler and new kings in the cities in the area. And then we're introduced to this king whose name is Abimelech. And he sees Sarah and wants to take her as his wife. By the way, we sometimes forget the timeline here. Sarah is now 90 years old. Scripture told us years before how beautiful she was. Apparently that beauty hadn't weared off. We're at 90. Kings are still looking at her and saying, yes, I want her to be my wife. If Sarah was alive today, she'd have a skincare product line and all these product lines, right? Like... Wow, she must have been incredible, right? So this king takes, takes Sarah in to become one day his wife. Very soon after this, maybe not the very first night, but the idea is this is a quick thing that happens that Abimelech has this dream and God, excuse me, and God appears to him. And Abimelech, as you see here, he pleads his innocence, right? He's like, I'm innocent. I have integrity here, contrasted with Abraham and Sarah who don't. Right? They're the ones who are up to things. And, and this king, this foreign king is like, I, I, I'm the one who is innocent. And God says, yes, you are. That's why I've shown up. That's why I have protected you. The first step that we see in this passage to stop recurring sin in our lives is to learn from your past experiences. To learn from your past experiences. If you've been here with us the last few months, you may think to yourself after we read these seven verses, wait, didn't we do this story already? Didn't we do this one already? Because in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 10, Abraham leaves. He goes south, this time a little further south back then to Egypt. And what does he do when he gets to Egypt? He says, this is my sister. And Pharaoh takes his wife, who he says is his sister, to be his wife. And it goes poorly. And Abraham looks like a fool. And he kind of gets publicly shamed for his lack of trust in God and for manipulating the situation to try and protect himself. So what does he do now 25 years later? The exact same thing. The exact same thing as he did before. But Remember, as the chronology has moved, the stakes are even higher at this point. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham had just received this promise, right, that from you will come a great nation. And this is now decades later as Abraham and Sarah have journeyed through this and have not yet had a child. But right before this, if you remember, God showed up to Abraham and Sarah and said, I'm going to come back in a year from now 
and you will have a son and you will name his name Isaac. And so the clock is ticking. And so when Abraham and Sarah does this, when Abraham pushes Sarah into this situation, Sarah is either pregnant with his child or about to become pregnant because the clock is ticking. The countdown is on. Yet still, Abraham goes back to the same sin, the same mistake that he's made before. See, experience is not a teacher to us. It doesn't help us grow unless we actually learn from our experiences. Experience doesn't teach us unless we actually learn. Too many people, life happens to them and they don't learn from it. They don't think critically about it. So what do they do? They just keep doing the same thing and find themselves caught in the same cycle of mistakes and sin and trying to cover up for it over and over and over again. When we have experiences, even negative experiences, we would be wise to sit back, to look critically and to think, okay, how and what can I do differently to not repeat the exact same thing again in the future? Well, as I have shared many times, I really enjoy cycling and I grew up racing bikes. And when I was in college, I got into running some and ran a few marathons. And so afterwards, I put them together, learned how to swim and picked up triathlon. And because I'm such a type A person, I didn't go to do like sprint triathlons. I decided to sign up for an Ironman which an Ironman is a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike. And if you're still not tired enough, you just run a marathon after all of that. That's on the same day, not like in three separate days you do. That's, that's all in one day. And I remember going into my first Ironman back, it was in 2014. I, I had gotten in pretty good shape. My training had gone pretty well. I was excited for the race. The swim went about according to plan, kind of in the, eight, the the range that I thought, I was on the bike and I was about 50 miles into the bike ride when suddenly my legs started to cramp a little bit. And I was like, oh, that's not, that's not very good. That's not very good. And I remember I got to the end of the bike and there's you know, people there to help take your, take your bike as you transition off and get your running gear on to run. And I pull up and I stop and they're like, you can get off the bike. And I was like, no, I can't. And they're like, no, you're done. You can get off the bike. And I was like, you don't understand. My legs, every muscle in my legs was totally cramped. And when I took my feet off, they totally locked and I could not bend my knees at all. Right? People came over. It took like four people to help me off my bike. Because they're like angling my bike and someone's like picking my leg up as I'm like trying to get off. And, and finally I get in there and I'm, I sit down. I'm like, well, it's good. I only have to run a marathon now. And so I went out and put my running shoes on. My marathon time, I looked it up this week because I had forgotten. My marathon time at that event was seven hours and 35 minutes. Basically, I walked for seven and a half hours because I could not function. I, I, I had gotten my nutrition so bad that I was so dehydrated and so malnourished that my legs literally would not move forward. Well, I finished the race, barely. The cutoff for those races is 17 hours. I finished in 16 hours and 34 minutes. Plenty of time to spare, 25 minutes, right? Plenty of time to spare. Then I was crazy enough two years later to sign up to do it all over again. But what did I do? This time, instead of just making sure that I was riding and running and swimming a lot, I paid close attention as to what I was eating and what I was drinking. And I remember I, the day before the races, I got everything laid out. I think we have a picture here of it. Part of my nutrition was you see those energy gels, the goos. You're like, that is a gross, ridiculous amount of sugar in those. And I would say yes. And that was just for the bike ride. 
that I had learned what I needed. And I was taking in about three times more water and food than I did in the first race. I was taking salt tablets to make sure all of it. And it went so much better. Why? Because I stopped and I didn't just go like, oh, I'll just do it again. But no, what I do, I said, I, I need to do something different if I want to get a different result. See, too often when we encounter failures in our own lives, we don't stop and look and say, why did this go so bad? And what lessons can I learn so that when this situation arises again, something different can come about from it? And so often we don't think critically about it because we address just the surface symptoms of things in our lives rather than the underlying causes that push us to those symptoms. See, if you look at this situation, what's the surface level symptom? Abraham lies, right? And he did it before and he does it again, right? So Abraham lies, but, but there's something underneath, right? There's a deeper issue as we see it happen both in chapter 12 and then again in chapter 20. Something in this situation when Abraham goes into somewhere new that pushes him rather than entrusting the God that pushes him to rely on his self, his own self, and he lies in just specific situations, and it's those underlying issues that push us sometimes towards sin. And think about your life. What underlying issues, what circumstances in your life naturally push you towards self-dependence, towards sin, rather than relying on Jesus? And so often to learn from our mistakes, we need not just look at the symptoms, but think about the underlying things that push us to have a bent towards sin in our lives. Sometimes it's stress at work. In busy and in stressful seasons, we suddenly will find ourselves being different and acting different, being very short and harsh with people. And we need to understand you can't take stress out of work, but you can know that, hey, I, I need to pay attention to my heart and my words in this season. For some of us, it's when we look at the future and it's uncertain and we don't know what it will take that, that we, we start to grasp and we try and hold on to things and manipulate situations. For some of us, it's when we are under financial pressure. When financial pressure comes into our lives that we start and take matters in our own hands and we start acting differently. Again, you can't stop these things from coming, but you can be aware of these things that come into your life and your natural responses to them. For so many sexual sins, we deal with the symptom of sin and we don't deal with what pushes us to the sin that's behind it. And the reason we sit in these sins and struggle is because we've just viewed one thing and we haven't viewed this is what pushes my heart towards these sins. I know for me, one of the things that I have to be aware of is, is there's some people who are just like super flexible, go with the flow, take every day as it comes. I don't understand those people. Like that is so not me. I have my plan and how I want things to go. And I know for me, when that doesn't happen, when my plan doesn't go according to plan, that in my heart, it's really easy for me to be short against people, to be angry, to get defensive, to blame other people. Now, is it wrong to want things to go to plan? No, but what, when I know in situations that cause me to have to change my expectations, that I have to be aware because my natural bent is to be sinful in those situations. And I need to be on guard lest I fall into those things again. See, we can't remove every sinful bent from our hearts, but we can know that in certain situations that come into our lives, to be ready to cling closer to Jesus than ever before. And what comes into your life 
that pushes you towards sin rather than clinging to Jesus. And think critically as to some of the mistakes that have come up over and over again. What was behind that? What was underneath that? So that when that comes again, you can be ready to cling to Jesus in those moments rather than just repeating the same things over and over again. The passage continues in verse eight. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you? That you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin. You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. And so Abimelech's men are afraid. They have this fear of what God is going to do to them. Contra to Abraham, who is openly sinning and has, seems to have no fear of God and instead is more fearful of the people around him. And just as before in Genesis 12, when Pharaoh confronts Abraham in the same situation and this ungodly pagan ruler looks more righteous than Abraham, it's the same here, right? Abimelech is the one who speaks with integrity, with innocence. He basically, in all those verses, is saying, Abraham, what the heck? Like, why? Why, why would you do this to me? Like, what, what happened? Why would you treat us? Why would you treat me this way? And when confronted with his sin, right? Abraham is like a deer in the headlights here, right? He's been called out. When confronted with his sin, with his mistakes, what does Abraham do? He makes excuses. He does what so many of us do, and he makes excuses for his behavior. See, the second step to stop recurring sin in our life is to stop making excuses. To stop making excuses for your sin, for your actions, for why you did what you did. Human creativity is perhaps best seen when we are trying to make excuses to get ourselves out of situations, all right? Any teachers in the room, your kids are at their creative peak when they have forgotten their homework at home. Suddenly these kids who can't write a sentence can come up with the most elaborate story you've ever heard as to why they don't have their homework. Some of you in here are managers and you have lots of people report to you. You could tell endless stories, I'm sure, of the things that people have called you in the morning of why they're not coming to work that day, right? Because we can get so creative in our excuses to get ourselves out of the situations that we have put ourselves in. And in this situation, Abraham makes three excuses that are so common amongst all of us, including ourselves, to excuse the sin and the behavior of our lives. First, look at the first excuse he makes. First, he blames other people. Abraham blames other people, right? When Abim looks like, why did you do this? Abraham in verse 11, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. He's saying, listen, I, I thought you were so sinful that my only option to stay alive was to sin as well. 
And so actually, if you wouldn't have appeared so sinful, then I would have been more righteous. He's like, if you could have just showed yourself to be more righteous, then I would have acted righteous, but you look sinful, and so I had to act sinful, so it's your fault, right? It's your fault, because you have no fear of God, and so I had to act in this way to preserve myself. See, the immorality of others never excuses our own sin. Maybe Abimelech and his country and his nation were immoral. Maybe they didn't fear God. That still wouldn't excuse Abraham for this response to him. See, in this situation, Abraham appears to fear people more than he fears God himself. And we blame other people. We do this all the time still, don't we? It's so easy to blame the people around us for our own faults, our own shortcomings. We blame our parents for the mistakes that they made. If my parents would have done something different, if they would have done this, if they wouldn't have done this, then I wouldn't be this way. We blame our boss. Man, if my boss wasn't like that, work would be so much more enjoyable. I wouldn't have that attitude if my boss didn't make me do that, right? It's my boss's fault that I'm so miserable. We blame our spouse, right? If you would have just done this, if you wouldn't have done that, then I would be happier. We blame our kids, right? If you would have just slept through the night, then I wouldn't be cranky in the morning, but it's your fault that you got up and were hungry in the middle of the night. How dare you, right? We blame everyone around us. And the reality is if we wanna stop the cycle of sin from repeating, no matter what happens around us, we need to realize that we are always responsible for how we react. You may be in situations with ungodly people in difficult and challenging situations, but we are always responsible for how we react, not the people around us. We are the ones who are responsible. So first, he blames other people. The second thing that he blames is his own insecurities. He blames his own insecurities as to why he would look towards himself and protect himself rather than act in a godly way. Notice that shocking statement there in verse 13, that he says, this is what you have to do. This is the kindness you must do to me. That every place we come, say of me, he is my brother. In other words, Abraham has some sort of insecurity about his wife, right? Because he does this twice when they're in a new situation and people do not know his identity, right? I don't know what Abraham's thing was. Like the Bible doesn't give us any input. Maybe Abraham was like some really ugly dude. Maybe he wasn't. We have no idea. But Abraham clearly in these situations got really insecure. And so he put himself in front of the people around him. And notice that this is what you have to do for me, Sarah. You have to protect me. You're responsible for making sure my insecurities are met. And he blames his own insecurities for why they need to act that way. And one way that we can justify our own insecurities and blaming that is we twist the truth to match what we want it to line up with. Right? Notice what Abraham's like. He's like, well, yeah, I deceived you, but like it wasn't totally a lie. Like there was a little bit of truth to it. Right? And so often, if we want to get away with things, we'll just kind of take something that has an element of truth and we'll twist it to ourselves. We'll twist it to our liking. So it's, it's still deceiving others, but it's not actually the truth. And see, what the story reminds us of is that when our lives are all about us and protecting us, we will use other people for our own protection. And Abraham puts his own wife on risk to protect himself and his own insecurities. And so he just blames his insecurities. Well, this, this is why. The third excuse, look at this in verse 13. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, 
The third excuse that Abraham has, he blames God. God, if you would have just left me back where I was before, if you wouldn't have called me out, if you wouldn't have blessed me, if you wouldn't have brought me to this promised land, if you would have just left me alone, none of this would have happened. It's actually God's fault that I had to do this. Like I blame God. This is literally the oldest excuse in the book. Literally, if you go back to when mankind first sinned in Genesis chapter three, and God confronts Adam and Eve and said, why did you do this? What is Adam's response? Well, it was the woman that you gave me. God, if you would have left me alone and Eve didn't come along, this would have never happened. God, this is your fault that I acted this way. And we may not point our finger directly at him, but so often we still do this today, don't we? Well, if God had just not allowed that to happen, if God had just changed the situation, if God would have done what I told him to do, then this would have never happened. And we too can point the finger and blame God rather than take responsibilities for ourselves. See, as long as we make excuses for sin, we are likely to continue to repeat that sin in our lives. As long as we make excuses for why we've done what we've done, for we try and justify it to ourselves or to the people around us, as long as we're living in excuses, we are likely to continue to repeat sin over and over. In the Bible, when it talks about confession of sin, to confess literally means, like in the, in the ancient world, to confess something means you say the same thing. And when we confess sin, what it means is that we say the same thing about our sin that God does, that we don't excuse it away anymore, that we own our faults, that we own our shortcomings. And one of the ways that we have to grow to stop having the same things come into our lives is that when we are called out, when the spotlight shines on us like it did to Abraham to say, yeah, that was wrong. There's no excuses. It was wrong. I should not have done that. And to own our sin, to own our sin rather than excusing our sin stops the cycle of us just living and repeating it over and over again. Verse 14, then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, behold, I've given your brother, not your husband, notice a little jab there, right? I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So there's this situation and Abimelech goes and shows this extravagant generosity to Abraham and writing the perceived wrongs that he did even in his innocence, right? He wants to make amends for his mistakes. And so he goes above and beyond in showing his own innocence in these acts of generosity towards Abraham. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 12, that very first passage that the one of the promises was to Abraham, whoever curses you will be cursed and whoever blesses you will be blessed. Well, Abimelech, by unknowingly taking Sarah to be his own wife, had put Abraham in the family line at risk. And we see here that the situation that happened from it is that all of the wombs of the, the women in the country were closed, that no one could bear children. 
And so upon releasing Sarah, he now is in God's blessing. And so this is undone. This is also a hint as to what God is going to do next. Remember in the Bible, as it was originally written, there's no chapter divisions or verses. And this is just a reminder again, that God is a God over everything, even the wombs of people. And we're gonna see that again next week, the story that immediately follows after this in chapter 21. What's amazing too is that amidst all of his mistakes, amidst the screw-ups that he's done now all over again, in verse 17, Abraham prays to God. God listens, God hears him, and God answers his prayer. The third step to stop recurring sin in our life is to understand the patience of God. To understand the patience of God. The grace of God flows through this whole story from beginning to end, right? Saving Sarah and Abraham at the start, right? He shows up in a dream to Abimelech. He says, yes, I have shown up to spare you, to protect Abraham and Sarah. God not giving up on Abraham at the end. If it were some of us and we were Abraham's God after 25 years, we'd be like, forget it, Abraham. I'm gonna find someone else. Like, are you kidding me? After all this time, you still do the same thing. But God is a patient God. And God is a patient God still today with us. He's a patient and kind and gracious God. Romans chapter two says this, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? See, this is such a powerful reminder in light of last week's story. If you were here, as we saw God dealing with justice and sin, that God is a pure and holy God. Yes, he is, but is God also a patient and kind and loving and gracious God? Yes, yes, he is. And the stories show that we can't just focus on one side of God to the exclusion of the other, but we have to see God for the whole of who he is. And understanding this patience that God has with Abraham and the patience that God has with you and with me should actually draw us to repentance, to want to follow him more and live a life pleasing to him, leaving behind our sin and following after Jesus. See, that passage says that God's kindness, his mercy, his grace, his love is what leads us to repentance. But for so many of us, we, we haven't gotten there because we've confused an apology with what repentance is. An apology with repentance. Because sometimes when we get caught in our sin, we'll say, oh, I'm sorry. But then we go back and do it again. And repentance has this idea of you were going one way, it's a 180 turn, now you're going the other way. Repentance is I'm sorry, and I'm going to take steps to make sure I don't do it again. See, there's a difference between apologizing and repentance. We live over on East Dunn, and so oftentimes in the mornings when I'm out on a bike ride, I'll ride down through the roads in San Martin. And I know that highway is on 101 as people commute up in the mornings, but if you've never driven those side roads over about 6.37 a.m. on a weekday morning in San Martin, the highway also exists over there on those two lane roads. The speed limit in most of them is 40 to 45. I feel like if you're going under 60, you're like getting honked at and people are flying around you. These people are flying up these back roads, right? Trying to beat traffic. Now, what would happen? And if this is one of you, I didn't see you this week. This is not personal, all right? So I didn't, I didn't catch anyone speeding. Don't worry, all right? But it, what happens if that's you and you regularly are flying up those back roads and you get pulled over by a police officer and you get given a speeding ticket? What are you gonna say? I'm sorry, officer. 
And then what are you going to do the next morning? The exact same thing, right? Like you're not repentant. You're just sorry that you got caught and you hope the next day that you don't get caught again, but you're going to keep doing the exact same thing along with all the other people. And so often when we get caught in our sin, we look at God and say, I'm sorry. And we go back and do the same thing over and over again. See, as we learn who God is and we see stories like this of his patience, his grace with us, fallen, messed up people, all of us, when we see that, it actually draws us closer to him. And it gives us the freedom to leave behind the things that we've struggled with, leave behind the sin that's been tangling us up in our lives for so long and follow after him. See, to stop recurring sin in our lives, we need to learn the heart of our savior, to learn the heart of our God, that he is kind and gracious towards us. And yes, just like Abraham, we will make mistakes, but there's more grace for us still tomorrow. There's more grace in God's heart than there is sin in your life. And God is a patient and gracious God with his children. And as we understand just who God is, it motivates us to see what we have been, to see the things that we've struggled with, but to want to do something better because of the kindness of God motivates us to follow after him, to leave those sinful patterns behind and follow Jesus. Are there things in your life today that you need to leave behind? Things that have been coming up for years, for decades, that just keep arising in your life. The things that you say, no, I need to give that today to Jesus. To see the kindness and the grace in his heart, but not just to say, I'm sorry, but to repent to stop making excuses, to learn from what I've done and to see the kindness in God's heart and pursue that and allow that to change me and change my life. God, we thank you. We thank you for the kindness that does always flow from your hearts towards us. We are broken and fallen people, but your grace is there for us every day. God, I pray for those who are here this morning who, as we talk about these patterns of sin, there's been something that's come to mind that your spirit has brought to light in them today. God, I pray that today would be the day that that we repent of sin, that we take it seriously, we own it, we stop excusing it away. God, as we catch a glimpse more and more of who you are, of your patience, your kindness to us, God, may it motivate us to surrender all of our lives, everything we have, to follow after you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.